defines refuge as shelter or protection from danger or distress, or a place that provides shelter or protection, or something to which one has recourse in difficulty. Welcome to today's lesson, a Nick Cave podcast. I'm Andrew. And I'm Sean. And today we're going to be talking with you about the next track from Tender Prey, it's called City of Refuge. Sean, how you doing? You know, Andrew, I am in I'm in quite the mood. I have been listening to this song all day. Um, I even went for a run, and unlike Sad Waters, I'd mentioned previously, it was bad for running. Um, this song, as you might imagine, is very good for it. It it constantly reminds you of what it is you're supposed to be doing. Uh, Andrew, <laughs> how are you? It's it's quasi instructional. It's it's an exercise ballad, if you will. If, Sean, if Nick K put together an exercise tape, I think that this would be front and center. <laughs> I'm good. I've been doing next to no running, um, but you know, I still really enjoy this song. And this song's, you know, maybe not the wordiest that he's uh, ever put out, maybe not the deepest, but there is some interesting history behind it. Some interesting history, you say? Um... Would you care to enlighten us? I would. Uh, words and music for this song are credited to Cave, but it is noted in the credits of the album as being inspired by a Blind Willie Johnson song. Uh, that song's called I'm Gonna Run to the City of Refuge. In turn, it is said that this song itself is an adaptation of a traditional song called You Better Run. And the earliest known recording of that tune being performed by the... Uh, the Great Wiseman Sextet, around 100 years ago. I love those guys. <laughs> I, think, I think this is one person. <laughs> We're going to have to fact check that one. We'll but, have to uh, look up if, whether it's six we'll figure people. We'll figure that out. Or, yeah, we'll get back to you. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll add that to our newsletter. Um, but the, uh, the Blind Willie Johnson version was eventually included on Original Seeds Volume 1, a collection of songs which inspired Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Right on. And I'm kind of shocked. This, uh, in my research for this song, this is the first I'd heard about this album, but uh, it also includes Avalanche and Tupelo uh, Blues, the song that inspired Tupelo, of course, and uh, many others. So I'd, I'm going to be checking it out very soon. It sounds like a great collection of music. Yeah, rare, rare for an artist especially one as you know at at times perhaps difficult or or hard to uh to read as cave uh to put out something that is just so you know explicit like this is stuff that influenced me this is stuff that i'm interested in it a very interesting move from cave uh, i believe that first Original Seeds volume came out in the late 90s. I think the second one came out early 2000s, but I can't remember. Around then, yeah. Yeah, and if, if you're craving some some cave and you've already plumbed the depths of his discography, some interesting stuff there. You might find something you like. And and one thing, before we move on, um, I did look into this because this is the second blind bluesman that Cave has been inspired by. Of course, uh, Blind Lemon Jefferson being the previous. I looked into that. I was just kind of surprised that there were so many blind bluesmen, and there are a ton. And, uh, you know, I expected a, a really, I don't know, interesting explanation. And it, it was actually just kind of sad, you know, back in the early 1900s, end of the 1800s, when many of these folks were pretty prevalent and, you know, some of them got great recording careers and some did not. Uh, there was a, a lot more people were blind, and that was pretty much the explanation 
was uh, a lot of stuff that we've cured since then meningitis or measles uh scarlet fever and smallpox all can cause you to go blind and so a lot of people went blind and they played the blues because that was a horrible way to be <laughs> so <laughs> kind of a depressing note on uh, the inspiration that cave has drawn from well knowledge is uh enlightening and often horrifying and sad um it's also said that many bluesmen traded their eyesight for the ability to to play blues well you know they've certainly uh, we've heard many tales of deals with the devil and and the like so um and another great inspiration for cave a lot of a lot of devil talk a lot of you know dealing and wheeling and i think that that is just as likely as you know disease being more prevalent before modern medicine exactly who's to say what really happened back then not us might be next file sean moving on to music i'm i i gotta know what do you think about this music andrew this might come as a surprise to you but uh i think that it fucking rules <laughs> i uh <laughs> it pops in and it it starts off pretty pretty loose it starts off pretty quiet um we get this awesome play between harmonica and guitar and it, it reminds me a lot of some of the stuff we heard on firstborn in that way very um kind of you know southern very deserty feeling mm. um reminiscent as well to me of like train long suffering or something like that and it builds and it builds and it just it reaches as we said a a level of certified bangetry that just doesn't quit what uh what are your feelings on it? It don't quit. It's it's all banger all the time. There's no yeah. There's no slowing down. You're on the train. Uh, I definitely feel that same sort of connection with Firstborn and Train Long Suffering. It just you know rarely are there moments of calm, if any. Um, yeah, and it's it's just very full too. Um, not yeah. only is it is it you know steady. You've got a full cast of performers. I think. Pretty much the full band is working on this one. You've got Cave on the very bizarre, dissonant, haunting harmonica. Um, <laughs> you got Har Harvey on uh, acoustic guitar and bass. Um, you know Roland Wolf playing some extra organ. You got uh, Kid Congo Powers and Blix on guitar. It's got some breathing room when Cave delivers the verses. Um, sometimes just being bass and drums, some acoustic guitar, uh, some little organ uh, hits. But yeah, when it's when it's going full bore, it is full and fast and raucous and uh, just a really good time. A really good, if you want to show someone kind of this middle period of Cave and you want to rock their world, this is not a bad song to show them. No, this this would hit them like a ton of bricks, and I think it's, it's appealing. Like I think you said earlier, it's not the most wordy thing on in the world, but it it is so full of music um, that it, it would be hard for someone not to really get into this if they're if they're just into rock. If they like to rock, man. Sean, do you like to rock, dude? I oh my god, I love to fucking rock, and and my love of rock that reminds me. You mentioned Kid Congo Powers. I just wanted to say I had the pleasure of seeing Kid Congo Powers live last month um, at a very intimate venue. And that guy, we want to talk about rocking. He rocks here and he still fucking rocks. So I highly recommend if he, if he comes to your town uh, and plays, go see the man. It's it's incredible. I was regrettably unable to, to join you, but um, that's a bummer because he is, he is extremely talented. I've caught some of his... Uh, Pink Monkey Bird live performances uh, on YouTube. Not the same, but yes, very, very into what he brings to the table here and what he, he's doing now. Absolutely. And and one more thing about the music, I think, before we move on. Um, this is kind of a kind of a little bit of a, a God, what am I trying to say? Um, a little bit of look into the future because we're about two albums away, but the intro here, and I want to see if this reminds you too, the guitar that we're hearing here reminds me a lot of an intro to another song on uh, Henry's Dream, and, and the song I'm talking about is John Finn's Wife. So <laughs> I'm I'm curious to know if it's 
the same guitarist. I'm curious to know if this is Mick Harvey, both here and there, because um, he's credited as rhythm guitar on that song and that album, and uh, he's credited as acoustic guitar here, but it, it feels very similar. I don't know. Just something that I, I noticed. Yeah, 100%. I mean, at that point, and, and we'll get there when we get there, but we have we will be losing Kid Congo Powers uh, from the lineup soon. And uh, so, you know, Mick always, you know, sort of fills in the gaps, but he, he plays the acoustic here. Almost certainly he plays the acoustic on that album, seeing as uh, it's only he and Blixa at that point on guitar, uh, as far as I recall. Um, yep. In which case Mick would, would be taking acoustic as Blixa likes his, uh, his effects and his uh, guitar not to maybe always sound like a guitar, but that's a great point. I, you definitely do hear that kind of, uh, that fast, loose, uh, you know, raw kind of folky guitar intro here. And it, it is very reminiscent of, of that song and a few others from that album. Yeah. It, it only took me about 14 listen throughs to go, Oh my God, I've heard this before, <laughs> but when I heard it, I couldn't unhear it. Speaking about acoustic guitar, Sean, there's an acoustic version of this song. No. Oh, yeah. What? It's real. Does it rock? It kind of rocks in a chilled out acoustic kind of way. A version of this song is present on the original uh, B-Sides and Rarities collection, much like the acoustic Deanna. And the acoustic Mercy Seat versions, it's shorter, and it kind of has a weirdly uplifting vibe that certainly this song does not have, and the recorded versions, the album versions of Deanna and Mercy Seat do not have. So it's kind of nice that there's this sweet little trio of three of the, um, you know, heavier songs on this album. And, and potentially more grim songs on this album that just kind of are, are sweet and have kind of a, yeah, like a campfire church camp kind of vibe to them. <laughs> I, I like the description of church camp. Um, we'll come back to that when we start talking about the song. But um, yes, I was only feigning ignorance earlier. I, I love the song. It does rock, but it's, it is, it's a much happier version. Leaves you feeling much more, uh, I don't know hopeful and inspired whereas this is more kind of like pointing in your face and just demanding that you get moving kind of quickly absolutely absolutely well that's that's the music it's good it's good music but we're also here to talk about song meanings and lyrics but first sean hello do you want to play a game jesus christ I guess it depends on the game. <laughs> well, you have no choice, unfortunately. It's time for the album cover review game. The album cover review game. Now this is, it's ringing a bell. I have a memory of this. I think we've done it before. Andrew, could you remind us how we play this game? Yeah, in this fun game, uh, you know, games are fun, but they, they have rules. And the rules of this game are we look at an album cover of the album we're talking about. Nick, This is all Nick Cave, of course. And we review <laughs> it uh, based on uh, a series of clandestine rubrics and points and notions. What we output to you, the listener, our service to you is we will rate them on a, on a scale of 1 to 10 Nick Cave heads. Why Nick Cave heads, you ask? We, we get pounds of mail about this every year. Well, it's because most of these albums have his head on them. And th- this one is no exception. C- certainly not, my friend. Certainly not. Sean, uh, you wanna you wanna kick this kick this one off? Yeah, let's. I I would be honored to kick off the album cover review game for Tender Prey. So 
when I when I see this album cover, uh, the first thing that strikes me is its similarity to the other album covers in that it it's really subject wise just Nick on the front looking somewhere. And so where we've had, you know, the firstborn is dead. He's kind of staring right at the viewer. You have from her to eternity where he's looking off into the distance somewhere. And you have uh, your funeral, my trial where his eyes are closed unless you're, you know, looking at the other side of the cover. Um, and he's just kind of like, you know, looking sorrowful in a way this, he looks kind of, I don't know, like he's just chilling out. And uh, the vibe that it gives me is more refined, I guess, than the others. Maybe not more than, than Firstborn. That is a very refined-looking Nick Cave on the front there. But here it looks like he's kind of gone through something and might be hitting the restart button. And, uh, you know, that might just be my my thoughts on this album as a whole, kind of painting that picture and tainting my opinion. But uh, it's my opinion, and I don't have to fucking explain it. <laughs> Andrew, what uh, what are your initial thoughts? It's a very valid feelings. I uh yeah, I was really struck more by the the text on this one. I really enjoy the big garish, almost cartoony red and white block letters on the front. Uh they really pop. They're still kind of menacing. And the the thing about this cover that really that I do like is that it uh it really fits kind of the vibe of the album. I don't know that I would necessarily jump at saying that about any of the others so far it may be the first one but um yeah it's it's a little more refined he looks he looks good he's wearing a uh black and red suit and his pale skin sort of match the the album color combo um you know the black background the red and then white letters um yeah again holding what looks like a, a cigarette and he's got He's got kind of a, a an interesting look. He doesn't seem like he's trying to be, you know, outwardly menacing as he he may have in the past. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, and moving to the the back cover, we have the the and I'm I'm basing my I'm basing my review on the uh the vinyl that I have right next to me. On the back, we have the track list split amongst portraits of the band. They look like uh those old glamour shots he used to get uh, when your family would take you to some weird studio and prop you up and <laughs> give you a juice box. Um, but these shots look really nice. I really like uh, just the vibe of the band. It's very menacing, but none of them look angry at me for listening to this album. So <laughs> It's kind of a nice change of pace. I, I am kind of disconcerted by the way Blix is staring right at me, but... Uh... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all more refined. I like the use of shadow too. Um everyone is cast in shadow except for Kid Congo Powers who still is and his his face kind of appears to be floating there. But uh more thoughtful, I think, which I I believe comes across in in the album itself. He looks very he looks just kind of fucking happy to be there, you know? That's right. Well, Sean, that was a great game that we just played, but it's not over yet. What are you, uh, how are you reviewing this one? What are you giving it out of 10 Nick Cave heads? So I think uh, I'm glad that you brought up the lettering on the front because I honestly just kind of ignored it. Uh, it, it strikes me as very reminiscent of uh, From Her to Eternity's lettering. And it yeah. didn't, I, I, I focused so much on Nick that I kind of neglected what I believe is actually a better lettering on the front of the album than previously on uh, From Her to Eternity. And if I'm remembering correctly, I really enjoyed the lettering on From Her to Eternity. Um, don't quote me on that. I could be remembering very wrongly, but uh, I like it now. And ah, the portraits on the back are really sealing it for me. I like everything about it. It just doesn't necessarily stand out perhaps as much as as later albums. And so to not create a an untenable uh spread of Nick Cave heads and with no memory at all of what I have given the previous albums. I'm going <laughs> yeah, to We do not we do not remember we I say it every album, we do need to go back and like log this shit somewhere. <laughs> and one day, one day we will. 
um, bonus points if somebody writes in and tells us. But that uh, would honestly save us like five minutes. It would be great. It'd be incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, I'm gonna land here based on my my deep seated feelings. Um, I'm landing right around seven and a quarter Nick Cave heads. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And maybe one disembodied floating kid gongo powers. <laughs> I I'm gonna give this one, you know, without I'm trying to be a little safe because I don't remember what I rated everything else, but I know I like this a lot more than anything else that we've talked about. I'm going to go ahead and give it a 9.5 Nick Cave wow. out of 10. I just don't wow. think there's, there might be a couple that I like more, but uh, this one just really, I mean, there was a reason I gravitated towards this one pretty early, and I think the cover had a lot to do with it. This one just does it for me. It's simple. They're not trying to do too much. It probably took them, you know, five minutes <laughs> to five minutes at a Macy's. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody gather around, knock it off, Blixa, and <laughs> we're done. There's probably some I like more that we'll get to. Uh, definitely none I like as much as this one. So. You might see a 10 or a 9.75 pop up, but I think this one's really, really solid. Right on. And uh, yeah, it's worth, I think it bears repeating. You could even do a 9.8 or a 9.87 or anything like that, because we said there are rules, but when it comes to scoring, there are no rules. Exactly. Well, there's, numbers have some... There are rules for numbers, but really Ooh. we can just get down, break it down as much as we, we have to to make that happen. I look forward to the long and lengthy uh, history that we will develop with the album cover review game. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how it is we change and where we end up landing on all of these and if the scoring stays comprehensible. Yeah, we may just redo it all <laughs> at the end. So, uh, well, just another reason to stay tuned. Sean, you want to get into the lyrics? Andrew, I'd like nothing more. Lyrics and song meanings, I mean, all of that. Of course, it's not like we just sit here and recite. We, we analyze, we dig in, and we, we provide value, an added value on top of the liner notes. Like, uh, <laughs> like cute, uh, charmingly clumsy grave robbers. We are <laughs> digging in for those bones. <laughs> We, yeah, we're just shoveling them out and uh, you get whatever you get. So shovel wielding rascals, just trying to get to the bottom of this. Lyric goblins. Andrew, do you want to kick us off? I do. Before we get into verse one, you know, as we have this, this chorus telling us you better run to the city of refuge. I did want to point out, you know, this, this idea, the city of refuge is, uh, likely don't want to say 100% but strongly appears to be in reference to the biblical idea of cities of refuge which were safe havens where people who committed uh you know who caused accidental death uh you know committed manslaughter could have asylum um you know they'd be taken from the city of refuge and tried uh, once they got there, and if found innocent of of you know premeditated murder, they'd be returned to the city of refuge with guards for their protection. Um, I don't know if you found anything about this. Um, any additional information about this uh, this idea of a city of refuge? I did. I believe um, just for some added detail, there were actually six of them. Um, in yes. ancient Israel of, of 48 towns in total set aside for the tribe of Levi. And I won't go into all of that, but uh, six of them were set aside as cities of refuge for this purpose. Um, because back then, the reason you needed a place like this was because just the law of the land allowed for blood vengeance, which, which <laughs> meant even in cases of manslaughter where there was an accident, say, you know, you're a shop owner and you're, you're, ceiling collapses on a customer 
it was actually the right of the customer's family to come and just straight up murder you. And the customer is always right. The customer is always right. Um, And sometimes dead. And then the customer's family is always right. (laughs) So they, they structured this as a way for people to not necessarily, you know, bog down all these different towns and create this big bureaucracy but for for uh these people to be able to go somewhere and get a fair trial and they actually made the roads to these cities it sounds like very flat very wide so that anyone accused could get there very easily um it is also interesting one of the theories behind why they kept it to only six towns um split evenly between the east and west bank was because these towns often became hives of crime hives of scum and villainy and so in order to kind of isolate and and focus that on a small number of towns um they kept the number number pretty low and and made them very specific so interesting stuff very i had no idea but fascinating yeah and and the amount of bearing it has on this version of the song you know there there's certainly some elements some biblical elements here but that's just sort of a you know basis for the the backbone of the song backbone of the uh the previous versions of the song and uh yeah it's a it's a good jumping off point especially knowing that cave often traffics in this this stuff absolutely so the chorus uh you know this starts out with the chorus a very odd odd way to go um basically just telling you you better run you better run you better run to the city of refuge um you know he he basically repeats this starting quietly and then it ratchets up along with the music becoming basically one of the most uh you know uh, incendiary displays of power the band's really kind of flexed up to this point um you know almost matching the first album in its unhinged uh <laughs> sort of just raw power but um yeah i mean i think the 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 main thing to draw from this chorus that you better run versus maybe the the i'm gonna run or i'm gonna run to the city of refuge uh from the original uh performances this kind of has more of an antagonistic or or cautionary tone to it. Yeah, no, I'm glad you mentioned that because I I got the same sort of vibe in that it's a command rather than kind of introspective sort of thing, which is yeah. interesting because I also take kind of that whisper that he starts out with, um, the really quiet, you better run. It almost feels like he's talking to himself. It feels like a guy kind of, when you say call back to the first album, a guy who might be a little bit unhinged himself. Um, saying this over and over and over again, and then just exploding outwards and, and commanding the people around him. Um, 100%, yeah. And very different than the original. These narrators, man, and we've said it time and time again, it, it's it's easy to take it, the, the me and you, at face value, but ah, it's tough, tough with... Tough with the cavester, you know. <laughs> the way he says stuff just, I don't know, conjures conjures a very specific image in my mind most of the time and it's very different than the literal translation off the page absolutely so right after we finish with these commands for the first time um we get kind of a a sermon here it begins um oh when you stand before the father in a state of shame because your robes are covered in mud when you kneel at the feet of a woman of the street the gutters will run with blood they will run with blood that's intense that's intense. Good life advice from Nick Cave to you. Got to maintain cleanliness. You don't want to be in that position, or at least I don't feel like I want to be in that position after he's described what I what position I might find myself in. What do you make of this first verse? So it's, um, you know, the first thing we hear is really that almost a, a preemptive admonition for being unclean before the father or obviously i think that means god um and uh, doubling doubling down on this it's it's the kneeling in front of a woman of the street probably a prostitute this narrator is just telling you you know if you find yourself in front of god dirty and unclean and 
perhaps giving, you know, any sort of uh, respect to this unclean woman, um, the world is is going to run with blood. The gutters will run with blood. Um, so it's kind of an intense introduction to whatever it is this narrator is trying to tell us. I I am unnerved at this point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, the the standing before the father in a state of shame because your robes are covered in mud, it, it does, you know, we talk about getting spewed out by the grave later. Maybe you came from... <laughs> from ah. uh, down below potentially um, i like that basically just you know you're unclean then you have you have this woman of the street you know likely a, a sex worker of some kind though you know it, it doesn't have to be that it's a sex worker just the idea of kneeling you know before anything else this false idolatry or whatever probably be enough to make little blood run through those gutters to make god a little bit angry a little bit a little bit mad but um yeah no we we definitely get some biblical imagery with the blood um you know the the rain of blood being one of the plagues and um we also get some i i kind of drew a connection here to watchmen which i'm not i'm not super into but i remember a very famous rorschach line where he talks about the gutters running with blood and you know the politicians and and impure population looking up and asking to be saved and being told no by him and so i don't know the the timing is such that perhaps cave was inspired by that um because i i don't know i couldn't find any specifically you know references from the bible about gutters running with blood but uh i believe watchman came out two years before this album so i don't know wow yeah i mean shit <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty good find wouldn't be surprised if the the wizard Alan Moore was somehow responsible for uh yeah some of the the turns of phrase here yeah and it uh, I think it fits with this character because we'll see it coming in later I think this is good enough time as any to kind of jump into my feelings on him this uh like I said I called this first verse a sermon and it this the whole thing really strikes me as a kind of a tent revival with a very angry man at the front um mm. telling everyone not so much in the Jesus loves you sort of way, but the God fucking hates you sort of way that you better you better straighten up and fly right. Otherwise, things aren't going to go super well for you, um, which, again, very much fits in with the right wing old school kind of asshole nature of Rorschach from Watchmen and the fire and brimstone teachings of some of those tent revivalists. And so, yeah, it, it all paints a very dramatic picture right out the gate of uh, a new cave character, but one that I quite like cave as the, as the angry preacher. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it is something that maybe we'll get a little bit more of down the road, but I, yeah, this is very tongue in cheek and very, it's, it's confrontational for yeah. sure. Uh, you know, yep. if he is indeed talking to you or us or or whoever you know we'll see in verse two um you know he starts to address people but yeah it it seems like the music played a large part in and and this might be totally way off base but it seems like the the nature of this music this version they wanted to do may have added some of that fire and brimstone to to nick's uh lyrical adjustments to this classic song yeah no absolutely moving on to verse two in the days of madness my brother my sister when you're dragged towards the hell mouth you'll beg for the end but there ain't gonna be one friend for the grave will spew you out it will spew you out yeah just kind of continuing this thread you know uh my brother my sister he's you know tent revival he's talking to the crowd it would seem, uh, or yep. anyone who will listen, uh, when you're dragged toward the Hellmouth, fun. Uh, maybe Nick was watching a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> at this point, but very, very inspired. When you're dragged towards the Hellmouth, you know, obviously, just trying to scare whoever these people are into submission. Maybe in this world of the uh, the song, maybe this stuff can really happen or will really happen, but. Um, it it feels like you're trying to it feels like this is a 
just continuing the cautionary tale that the the, uh, the boogeyman will come get you. You'll beg for the end, but there ain't gonna be one friend. You know, it could be could be just torture, torture in hell. Um, but the grave will spew you out. That's a very interesting piece of imagery. Very much so, and coupled with the hell mouth, I think it gives a very very gritty <laughs> gritty picture of what's gonna happen to you when you're dead. Um, and as you said, the uh, torment in hell. I think this more calls to the um, book of Revelations to get even more biblical with this. Um, it is written in the book of Revelations that when the judgment day comes and God comes down, um, all of the dead will rise. They will actually physically rise from the grave. They will be spewed forth. And, you know, the good people, the people that God likes who aren't dirty and who haven't kneeled anywhere, uh, will be taken to heaven in the rapture and everyone else is just condemned forever to torment and shame. So, uh, they have to play their, uh, rib cage like a xylophone forever. Well, it depends on the shape of their skeletons. Some of them will be accordions. Some of them will be bases, <laughs> uh, depending, <laughs> depending on the size and shape of the person, they will form an incredible skeleton band. <laughs> for all eternity but uh yeah that's that's what i take from this um and the days of madness i i i kind of take as that end times the signifier of yeah kind of the last days um that's what i got from that yeah absolutely that's that's basically my reading on it i don't know that there's anything you know outside yeah the the biblical stuff that, that you mentioned that's especially novel even in comparison to, to Cave's other stuff, this just feels very uh, slight, but still very heavy and fitting with the song. Yeah. Yep. And, and, you know, I'll keep coming back to it, but I really like the idea of the revivalist minister because a lot of those sermons are just as slight. A lot of the things that get people really whipped, whipped up, if you've ever kind of watched and listened to them, there's not a whole lot more content than this. <laughs> It's just describing how bad the people are and how much you're going to get tortured. And so it feels like he's right on brand if that's the character he's going for. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that is a really good point. Uh, you want to grab verse three? Let's do it. So after another refrain, we go back to the chorus and you know are instructed to run once more. Um, there is, I, I do want to say there's a great little organ solo in this chorus. Little organ bloops. Oh, it's so good. It's just everything else goes quiet and there's a little bit of drum in the background. I think the guitar keeps going and you just hear the organ do do its bloops and uh, listen for that next time through. Verse three, um, you'll be working in the darkness against your fellow man and you'll find you're called to come forth. So you'll scrub and you'll scrub, but hey, the trouble is Bob, the blood it won't wash off. No, it won't come off. And uh, Andrew, my first question for you. Did you hear Bob the first time you listened to them? It's not. It, there, it's not. It's it's Bub. It's gotta be Bub. So, uh, it's it's really rough for me because I swore I swore it was Bub, and this might be a case of suggestion. But I'm on Team Bob now. I think if I think if you really squint your ears and really listen, uh, there's an O sound in there. I think it's Bub. He said he rhymes it with scrub. <laughs> when got, I woke up. It, there's no way it's Bob. When I woke up today, I would have I would have been right out there with you, signs and pitchforks and torches. But um, I I'm Team Bob for now. We'll figure this out later. But okay. I mean, I know it's Bob, but I would like yep. to put it to the listeners to let us know what you think. Is he saying Bub or Bob or is he or Bud? What is it that you hear? Or something, or a strange, unknown fourth thing. <laughs> a, four, a fourth one of those. <laughs> um, he does not say scrob. <laughs> just... But we are dealing with Nick Cave, who uh, has tortured more than a few rhymes. So <laughs> You never know, also. With you never the, know. Uh, you know, untrustworthy narrators. <laughs> who knows what the fuck he's up to here? That's right. And uh, who knows what the fuck anyone's up to 
Um, Andrew, working in the darkness against your fellow man. <laughs> this is a beautiful transition. <laughs> Uh, yeah, working in the darkness against your fellow man does sort of conjure uh, working in the shadows, but also just love thy neighbor. Well, if you're working in the darkness against them, plotting against them, you know, what good are you doing? You're, you're making the world a worse place. Um, this phrase, working in the darkness against your fellow man, I believe comes from God's Gonna Cut You Down, uh, which was another traditional folk song that um, Johnny Cash actually covered and uh, recorded later in his career. I'm not sure that that's the, that seems biblical to me. I didn't look it up, but more than anything, you know, e- even if it's not directly from the Bible, it is sort of a, a summation of that idea of, you know, if you're, if you're plotting, if you're coveting thy neighbor's shit or, or, you know, trying to get ahead and it's, if you're participating in in capitalism, maybe to uh, perhaps to, <laughs> perhaps you know if you're working uh, against your fellow man, um, yeah, you're probably deserving of these rivers of blood. Yeah, no, and this this is the closest I think we get in this song to the preacher telling you to love thy neighbor. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, it's it's basically not telling you to love thy neighbor. It's telling you not to attack or, or work in the darkness against thy neighbor um and and very classically biblical in that you know darkness is often seen as a cloak it's seen as the cloak of the deceiver and and a place where one might hide from the eyes of man to do these dark deeds but as as there is darkness there is light the black and white dichotomy um and light obviously for anyone who knows anything about the bible uh light the, is famously God. the yin and yang comes from that's the bible. right <laughs> that's right that's where that uh, originated was with god and the devil not uh, anywhere else and you know the light of god shines down and uncovers all these secrets he sees you when you're sleeping he knows when <laughs> you're awake and uh, he certainly knows you in bad or good so um you better run as the song goes yeah, and if, if you if you continue on this path, you'll find you're called to come forth. Um, you know, be addressed by God, maybe maybe just Saint Peter on an off day, but you will uh you will come face to face with a reckoning of some sort. You'll scrub and scrub, but the trouble is, pal, the blood it won't wash off. You know, you're not gonna be able to to deceive the Lord that easily. That's right. And a little bit more classic imagery here. Um, of course, the the idea of scrubbing and scrubbing the hands to be free of blood uh, reminds me immediately of that most famous of Scottish plays. Um, yes. Macbeth. Duh. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, famously, uh, uh, Lady Macbeth ate a candle <laughs> and a dagger... Uh, a talking dagger appeared before her and told her to uh, remove, use the spot remover on her Doc Martens. <laughs> it's me, Daggy, for OxyClean. <laughs> Great point. Um, you know, Lady Macbeth, out, out, damn spot. It's certainly working in the darkness <laughs> in that play. Um, yeah, yeah, great pull. And uh, that's yeah, kind of kind of all I got from that uh, from that verse. And we are told to run again, um, which brings us to the final verse. Andrew, do you want to do you want to take the last one? Yeah, verse four is basically just a you know a, a re reprise of the first verse uh you know you have the chorus again when you stand before the father in a state of shame because your robes are covered in mud when you kneel at the feet and i've i've seen a lot of different um you know printed versions of this of some whore off the street of some harlot on the street i always kind of heard harlot oh yeah yeah okay yeah so we're we're in agreement on that one guess what uh you better take the moon out of them because those gutters are going to run with blood. Uh, some the continuing fascination of Nick Cave with gutters, you know, it continues. 
<laughs> a lot of gutter imagery here. I love it. Some nice gutter play. Um, this time around, I I don't know. It, it struck me that perhaps kneeling at the feet of a harlot off the street. He just says it with such with such a vile sort of spit. At this point, he you know, woman isn't enough. And so whether he's saying whore or harlot or whatever, it's just like it's a worse term for whatever it is he's trying to get at. Um, and it really sounds like he is, is just trying to spit that out. Um, it's disdain. Yeah. I mean, at first you kind of you kind of get what is being said the first time around with the woman on the street or woman of the street, whatever. But this really, yeah, hits at home. Very explicit. Um but it also, in in the context of the Bible, this time around kind of struck me that it could be a reference to marrying a a woman who is not a virgin, which was a huge no-no back in the day. They There was a great deal of bloodshed over uh, the, the fact that a bride would not have been a virgin at the time of the marriage. And so, I don't know, kneeling at the feet, it's, it's giving respect or perhaps offering your hand in marriage to a woman who really doesn't deserve it in the eyes of god yeah you know i think the rest of this stuff um you know your fellow man taking care of him you know you don't i guess you don't want muddy clothes this one just seems like man nobody really knew how to have fun back then at all uh except with the blood vengeance thing i don't know that's kind of if you were interesting oh if you're on team blood you're having a good time you're able to make exciting yeah exactly yeah, I, I I think what's what's interesting about this last verse and even verse three, you know, the idea of the city of refuge in the biblical context, which obviously isn't maybe the the most important thing to the text of this song, but it is interesting to see these acts that are premeditated or intentional be compared with the idea of a city of refuge being a haven for accidental deaths, like. The, these characters are being judged for things they did, it would seem, in the context of the song. But I just I just see this as so much more of a yeah, antagonistic or cautionary revival kinda kinda deal. Absolutely. It kind of plays too, like you said, with the with the concept of, you know, accidentally doing something versus um I guess the biblical idea of everyone's a sinner. This this feels like it's more like treating everything as sin and you just everyone should probably go to the city of refuge because yeah. someone's done something wrong um and it, it's interesting to me it plays with the idea of um fault that we see in mercy seat you know the guy's sitting there and you know his his brother's fist the two hands when you when the right hand offends you you know lop it off and um what does it mean to actually have culpability it's interesting to see him bring in this idea and kind of make it more broad than it strictly was in the bible you know just for manslaughter but apply it to just the very concept of sin and the concept of of being saved it's it's something to think about at least i don't know if there's anything definitive here but it's it's an interesting inclusion on the album alongside something like uh the mercy seat or or the song mercy you know just that other side kind of the old testament side of of the biblical teachings there's very little love there's nothing about jesus um jesus himself famously kneeling before prostitutes and and you know (laughs) harlot off the street because you have to love everybody and this is just absolutely fucking not like oh no buddy (laughs) don't you dare (laughs) unless you want to clean your gutters don't do that (laughs) yeah Yeah, and so nick ends this song kind of singing in a higher higher register than he was you can hear how much reverb his voice is drenched in um you know as the song ends and his voice is the only thing finishing it out, you know, run and run and run. A uh, really great ending, sort of frantic delivery at the end. Um, you better run, man. You you better. And I really love, I think like three three times before the end, three, three go-arounds of you better run to the City of Refuge, um, everything stops for a moment and goes silent. And then they just kick back in and finish up the song. And that's when he really kicks it up to that other register. Um, I love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah, a little subtlety popping up in bits and pieces uh, for a song that is not very subtle, nor does it really change a whole lot, you know, structurally. Just um, a lot of little fun things to listen for in a way that reminds me a lot of the song Mercy uh, that came before it. 
Absolutely. And it, again, last time I'll say it, but the tent revivalists, it, it really strikes me as how they kind of liven up that shit because a lot of it is reiteration and chanting and, and, you know, saying the same thing over and over again. Um, by the end of this song, I really like the idea of the bad seeds showing up at one of these and just scaring the shit out of everyone with this. Cause <laughs> I think there are, there are a lot of people in the world who would take this very much to heart and it would be, would be scared shitless by yeah. this delivery. Yeah. There you go. If only another time, you know, born in another, well, I guess I could still do it. It's not too late. Yeah. I was going to say, True Detective, season one, they're still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been great talking about this song with you. Uh, I know you were about to leave on a long trip, so yeah. I don't anticipate uh, y'all will hear much from us in the coming couple of months until we're able to get back together and record. But yeah, that's City of Refuge. Great track. Banger of a track. Sean, where can they find us? Well, if if they feel so inclined, you know, we we ask for a lot of feedback and we love it. Every time we get feedback, it it makes me very happy. And so um, if you care about me at all, write to us. And you can do that uh, via email. First and foremost, todayslessonpod at gmail.com. Um, you can find us on Twitter. You can tweet at us at todayslesson on, on Twitter. And if at you feel like what we're... Pod. I always fuck this up. Let's write it down. I, yeah, I'll do that the day I go back and figure out how many Nick Cave heads we gave to fucking From Her to Eternity. Shooting from the hip. And and finally, if you think that what we're doing is, you know, worth a couple, couple pennies, uh, head over to patreon.com uh, slash today's lesson. That's right. Um, until next time, thanks for listening. Thank you. Wait, no, we had a we had an ending thing that we did. This has been today's lesson, a Nick Cave podcast. And that's been today's lesson. And what you just said has been today's lesson. Bye. Nick Cave podcast.